Hello and welcome to the menu. This is Monaco's program on great food, drink and hospitality. I am Marcus Hippie. In the next half an hour, how one restaurant found success in serving upgraded versions of Finnish classics and how it now brings them to London. When we first talked about the whole concept uh, with my business partner, I considered the whole idea like completely nuts. It didn't make any sense to me because, you know, Finnish traditional food, who would ever want to eat that in fine dining? We are also in Istanbul, where one chef is working hard to keep the culinary culture of the city of Andakia alive after it was destroyed by last month's earthquakes. In Antakya, every week there is a new ingredient season. Every ingredient has two or three recipes. And every homes, every week, has a different menu with it. All that and more in the next 30 minutes here on the menu. While there has been a global boom in the popularity of Nordic cuisine, it's often been the likes of Denmark and Sweden that have gained most headlines. Finland has been somewhere in the background and few still consider Helsinki a city you would visit for food alone. But that is changing. Finland now has more excellent restaurants than ever before and one of the country's most interesting dining spots is called Finjevel, the Michelin-starred restaurant based in Helsinki focuses on Finnish food and has brought many almost forgotten or unappreciated dishes back as upgraded high-end versions. So successful has the place been that it is now looking overseas and here in London a Finjevel pop-up has just opened at Como the Halkin Hotel. I met Finjevel's owner and chef Tommy Tuominen right before he launched Finjevel's two-week stint in the UK. The concept of Finjevel is making traditional Finnish food known in a fine dining form, basically. Yeah. Why do you think it is that that Finnish food hasn't been very well known in that form earlier? Well, in its original form, it's it can be kind of seemed as boring. It for sure isn't anything sexy. It's really like rustic and rough and... Uh, The ingredients aren't really like the, the state of the art. It's not considered as anything like luxury. It's it's really rustic and rustic, rough and non-sexy. I think that's quite a description. Um, so, what have you been doing? You've been creating fine dining versions of of that country's culinary traditions. What kind of things do we have on the menu here in London, for example? For example, we're having a blood pancake. We are having a chicken casserole, which used to be like one of the most hated school dishes in in schools and and things like that. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. What kind of process has it been for you over the years to look at these Finnish classics or Finnish food and make them as as top versions? What do you actually change? What are we talking about? Obviously, we're talking about the best possible ingredients, but what else does it take to make these things, create these things and make them Michelin star worthy? Well, it's been really interesting and challenging for myself, for sure, because when we first talked about the whole concept uh, with my business partner, I considered the whole idea like completely nuts. There was it didn't make any sense to me because you know Finnish traditional food who would ever want to eat that in fine dining restaurant and venue it it just didn't make any sense but the more and more I 
gave it thoughts to the idea, it started to make like complete sense because it's something that people don't really know nowadays and it's actually quite exotic and unique and when you do it in the right way you can create something that people haven't seen for a while and, and it's going to be interesting for sure and it's also been really challenging creativity of chef because you are working in really small box with really limited amount of ingredients at hand and you want to be we we want to keep the flavors and the soul of Finnish traditional food still within the dishes but we want to turn them around a little bit lighter a little bit more elegant and suitable for long menus and things like that so it's been really challenging you gave us a few examples earlier about what you've been doing in the past and and one thing we could discuss for example is very ohukaiset blood pancakes basically um they are something you can get from any grocery store in Finland and then you just need to basically microwave them but what is your version like well our version is uh, the traditional version is quite dry and actually blunt in flavor wise we've been adding quite a lot of, quite a lot of butter in it and more flavors and the check texture is more succulent and it's going to be very different from the ones you get from the grocery store. What are some some other well-known examples of Finnish food you have? Uh, on the menu here we are having the chicken casserole which is... Kanaviilokki. Uh, yeah, that's right. Oh wow, something you get at Finnish school so at least I used to get them like every week, get that food every week over there. Um, what is your version like? Uh, it's gonna be very different. <laughs> <laughs> She'll hope so. Yeah, it, it takes a couple of days to make for starters, and yeah, we're cooking like amazingly beautiful sauces for it, but still keeping it the velouté sauce base like it used to be. And uh, uh, back in the days in the schools, they used to use like the cheapest parts of chicken. We are using only the best parts, and and we're serving it with uh, rice which is flavored with curry, which was a really common thing to do in, in some schools in Finland back in the days. And of course, some uh, blackcurrant gel like they used to do. And But it's just like a thousand times more elegant and flavors are a bit more refined. <laughs> Can you give us one more example? I, I enjoy listening to you describe these dishes. One more thing. Uh, well, uh, as in snacks, one of them we're having egg and anchovy sandwich which uh, used to be a very common thing to have in gas stations in Finland. And it was also quite commonly known as a perfect cure for hangovers. <laughs> so it, it, it's something really unique, quite, quite strange in flavor-wise, and, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see. <laughs> so how have you upgraded it from uh, your petrol station version? Well... Quite a lot. The egg has uh, transformed quite quickly. It, it's not just boiled egg. It, we've been doing quite a lot of tri- tricks with that one. Uh, the bread is the best archipelago bread you can get. And uh, also the anchovy is in a bit different form than it used to be. So you first opened Finjevel as a pop-up already quite a few years ago. I'm wondering... How has it changed? How has the concept and what you've been doing with Finjevel changed? Do you think you've learned something or learned something new about the Finnish cooking in general when you've been working in the kitchen? We've learned a lot. Because when we started, even I didn't know anything about traditional Finnish food and cooking. We've been actually, we were traveling across Finland quite a lot before the opening and learning from the grandmas and uh, fishermen and uh, 
all the people, all the tricks of traditional Finnish cooking, because that's something that they don't really teach at the schools anymore. You you can't really eat the food anymore anywhere, so we have to go really dig deep and try to find the basics and then start to the evolving of the dishes. And now we've been pretty much finding all the most doable dishes for us. I think we have been doing about 100-150 different dishes and doing some versions of them and I think now we just have to start making new versions out of those and start evolving those because there ain't too many new dishes coming up anymore. Finjevel is the only restaurant focusing on Finnish food with a Michelin star and I think it's interesting to see what you've been doing. Do you think do you think you have been playing a part in developing Finland's food culture and how much Finland appreciates its food? Can you see a change? Well, I definitely hope so. I I don't know if I can see the change yet, but that's one of the main reasons we started the whole project and that's something that we are going for every day. Now, over the years, there's been so much talk about Nordic food, but it always seems that it's Denmark leading the way and and, and Sweden maybe behind. What's going on in Finland now? Well, uh, as Finns, we haven't ever been that good in marketing and promoting ourselves so i think that's the biggest difference between all these countries but uh, well we are coming from behind and trying to get our name known and yeah we'll we'll, we'll be there uh, tommy this is an interesting project you have over here in london now why london in the first place how did this project come about well we have had a lot of customers in finjevel of course from abroad and uh, so many of them have been asking that come here, come there, come to Dubai, come to Singapore, come to London and wherever. But uh, I have a, one good friend of mine living here who is a big foodie and really persistent guy who had have been saying that you really have to come to London. And we actually started the project already pre-COVID, but of course we had to put it in on ice for a while. And now after COVID, we've been starting to do it again. And now it actually is happening. I think it's I think it's a rather encouraging signal for London at least. Obviously after Brexit many have been wondering what is what is the place of this city in the world and it's 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 nice to hear that you decided to bring Finjevel to London out of all places. Did you ever consider any other cities? We have been considering some other other cities as well but I think London is just amazing for me and it's always been the one like one of the biggest cities when it comes to food food and eating out and I really love the London and it's great to be here. Now you also need to explain why we have a film crew next to us. I think it's an interesting project over here you're doing as well at the same time. <laughs> yeah we are also filming this little documentary out of this project in London and uh, I don't know it's just good to have somebody you know getting it on tape and afterwards when we are done after two weeks of constant working to really look at the films and see see what's going on and and I don't know we hope to get it on Finnish TV as well to show people how Finnish food and food culture is shown in London and just finally what's in the pipeline besides this project and and the documentary what kind of plans do you have for the future of Finjevel uh, well we are basically just doing our everyday business in in the restaurant in Helsinki and of course trying to get better day by day and uh, I don't know maybe hopefully in some stage maybe a bit more Michelin stars and we'll see
Tommy Tuominen of Finland's Finjevel restaurant there and the Finjevel pop-up in London is running until the 1st of April. Last month's earthquakes in southern Turkey and Syria left Antakya, a city famed across the world for its unique cuisine, in ruins. Monaco's Istanbul correspondent Hannah Lucinda Smith spoke with Maksut Askar, the head chef of the city's Michelin-starred neolocal restaurant, about his birthplace and its influence on his cooking style and how Antakya's unique gastronomic heritage can be saved. When I think of the Turkish city of Antakya, it's food that shines most vividly in my memories. The deep crimson of the dried peppers hanging on strings from shop fronts in the market, the golden crunchiness of the baked sugar and pastry strands on top of kanefe, a sticky dessert. I spent eight months living in Antakya and like almost anyone who has visited it, I fell deeply in love with its cuisine. It's a zingy, rich mix of Arabic, Anatolian and spice root flavours that is famed across Turkey and the world. But the huge earthquakes of February the 6th have almost totally destroyed this beautiful, historic city, home to Muslims, Christians, Jews and Arabic and Turkish speakers. As residents begin the long, hard work of rebuilding, I spoke with one of the region's best-known chefs about how Antakya's unique gastronomic culture can be preserved. If you are from Antakya or if you've been to Antakya and if you have eaten Antakya cuisine, uh, when you come to Neolocal you will see the bits and pieces of uh, feelings that I'm from. There. And This I- is Maksu Tashkar, head chef at the Michelin-starred Neolocal restaurant in Istanbul. He was born and brought up in Antakya, and the influences of his home soil ring through his menu. I happened to have the chance to live with my grandmother for two years. So the only communication between an 80-year-old and a 70-year-old was the kitchen. So I used to roast the coffee twice, once in two weeks. So I remember that smell. I used to prep for winter and summer. Uh, prepped for summer and winter. I remember all the smell and I remember the smell of the stash of my grandmother under her bed with all this zaatars, olive oils, uh, orange syrups, like many more. And uh, Antakya, when it comes to remembering an ingredient for me, is not an ingredient only, but the whole concept, idea and creation among the ingredients into food. There's cumin, are a thing in our cuisine. On the contrary, other parts of Anatolia, especially in Aegean or Marmara, they use a lot of uh, thyme and oregano, which we don't. So you don't find oregano in my kitchen, for example, because I'm not used to it in my childhood. So I was surprised to see the usage of oregano in the recipes that I remember from my childhood when I came to Istanbul. So I created this resistance to oregano. Nope. It felt more like a part of Syrian cuisine than part of Turkish cuisine. Would you agree? I would definitely agree because think of a land, geography, 
that used to be Syria uh, 80 years ago and used to be under French influence for 30 years. And uh, there's a mix and match of cultures. Our mother tongue is Arabic, yet uh, our Arabic has not changed too much, but it is mixed with Turkish. So that's a good example of how the traditions has mixed with Turkish traditions or Anatolian traditions over the years. So yeah, I remember my grandmother's friend coming from Syria, bringing a big luggage of ingredients. So he, she was smuggling coffees, smuggling uh, beans, smuggling zaatars and everything. So it's a ni nice way of smuggling things, <laughs> I guess. And she would visit every house and open the luggage and ask what they would love to have. And at the end or beginning, they would have coffee and look after their fortunes. Everybody in Antakya has their own take on its classic recipes. And there are variations on the same dishes between its Muslim, Christian, Jewish and other religious communities. In Antakya, food is also guided by the seasons. It's a complex, self-sustaining ecosystem. And if it's going to survive, every part of it needs to be saved. Since the earthquake, Maksud Ashkar has been spending most of his time in Antakya, where he's setting up a community kitchen for the restaurateurs who've lost their businesses, and thinking about how the whole food chain can be preserved. There are many ingredients which let's say uh, uh, is up for two weeks or three weeks. For example, uh, when they grow uh, wines, wine leaves uh, or grapes, they also grow roses next to the grapes. And these roses are only for three weeks. And with this flower of roses, they do two or three recipes. I have some elder friends who has dedicated their lives to the traditions and history of our cuisine and all the recipes. Uh, one of them is Suhail Budak. He feeds me with the information and the stories and he feeds me with the ingredients that I cannot find. And as he says, in Antakya, every week there is a new ingredient season. So, Every ingredient has two or three recipes. And every home, every week, has a different menu with it. So it goes for 52 weeks a year. If there was no ingredients, we wouldn't be able to cook our cuisine. So we need to think of farmers. Uh, also, once I'm back again, we are going to try to create an intel of farmers, their needs, what they need to produce, reproduce and find a demand for their products within the territory, not in the whole country, so that we create a circulation between supply and demand chain and so that they can stay there. They know that if they stay there, they will be helpful for others. Antakya's food traditions are passed down through people, with recipes traveling by word of mouth through families and friends but one person has been working to collect them. And Maksut Ashkar hopes that this can be the start of a rebirth. Uh, first of all, one of them is 
Suhail Budak is the only person who collected all the recipes of Antakya in a book. It consisted of around 400 recipes. But now he was working on a new book which consists of more than 600 recipes with all the stories and techniques. I talked to him, luckily he, he's alive, and I talked to him fearing uh, to ask, what about the book, the copies? He said, uh, I saved the copy in a flash disk and it's with me. And uh, I just want to help him urgently to publish the book so that people know because it's unfortunately very sad that he said most of the women that I collected my recipes are not existing anymore that's sad so we will just need to rely on uh, the people who are living and the young generation to survive the cuisine and the culture. You know the place and you know how rich the earth is, the geography is, the fruits of uh, Mother Earth is super rich there and they didn't need anything else and they didn't need to leave their lands to work somewhere else. So that is my great hope that whoever had to leave Antakya will come back one day. For Monocle in Istanbul, I'm Hannah Lucinda-Smith. Thanks, Hannah. This is The Menu on Monocle 24. Monocle's springy April issue includes our retail survey. Here we rate the retailers, CEOs and shops improving the cities they call home. We tour a New York bookshop that's starting a new chapter and meet the CEO reviving Helsinki's best department store. Elsewhere, we visit a Spanish enclave in Morocco, head to the runway for the final Boeing 747 delivery in Washington State, and hit the dance floor in Barcelona. You'll also find plenty of fashion tips in our annual style survey, plus plenty of travel and hospitality picks to put a spring in your step this season. Order your copy of Monocle's April issue today, or subscribe to get instant access online. Welcome back. You are listening to The Menu on Monocle 24. I am Marcus Hippi. Up next to the week's food and drink headlines, here is Monocle's Monica Lillis. A British food charity is planning to serve a million wild venison ragu meals to food bank visitors this year. This comes as part of a scheme by the Country Food Trust to tackle both the cost of living crisis and unprecedented deer overpopulation. If successful, the project will be scaled up to include schools, hospitals, the armed forces and prisons. A ramen restaurant in Tokyo has banned its customers from watching videos on their phones while they're eating. The owners of Debi-chan, located in the Takada Nobaba neighbourhood, noticed the customers focus on their phones more than their food, which means that their noodles get soggy. They also believe that the no videos policy will speed up customer turnover. The market for low-alcohol wine in the USA is booming as Americans are looking for healthier alternatives. Companies such as Botterbox and Kendall Jackson have published strong sales of their products, which have up to 9% alcohol and about 80 calories per glass. 
This follows the success of low-calorie hard seltzers, which combines sparkling water and fruit flavours. Rui Nibiru, the founder of Portugal's largest roasted coffee retailer and one of the country's best-known entrepreneurs, has died at the age of 91. Nibiru founded Delta Cafes in his hometown of Campo Maior in 1961 that roasted just 30 kilos of coffee per day. By 2022, the company's sales rose to 460 million euro and exported to 40 countries worldwide. Those are the week's food and drink headlines. Now back to Marcus. Thanks, Monica. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we are back with a new episode again on Friday at 2000 London time. Meanwhile, do check out our menu spin-off show Food Neighbours for great recipes. And obviously you'll find many more reports on great hospitality from the brand new edition of Monocle magazine. I am Marcus Hippi. The programme was researched by Monica Lillis and our studio engineer was Callum McLean. Once again, we finish this programme with a dinner soundtrack recommendation. From Turkey, here is Mahmoud Orhan with Without You. Thanks for listening and until next week. <laughs>